Our show today is brought to you by Bedgear. Bedgear makes performance bedding based on the way you sleep. You choose your mattress, pillow, and sheets based on your body temp, your size, and your sleep style. So are you a back sleeper, a side sleeper? Do you sleep on your stomach? Each piece has layers of powerful temperature-regulating technology that adjust your body temperature to your environment as you sleep. I am a large person. I am a back layer, and um, I am hot. And they sent me a pillow that it's it's like it's like menthol. It is so cooling. I can't sleep on any other uh, pillow because this is so perfect and keeps me cool as I'm sleeping. And don't forget, sleep, it fuels everything that we do. So you need to create a, a performance sleep system that will work hard for you, as hard as you work. So now our listeners can start building their personalized sleep system with 20% off. You visit bedgear.com and use our special code TESH. That's bedgear.com and use our special code TESH. Hello, everybody. Gib Gerard here. Thank you guys for an, uh, for joining us for another edition of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. Today is very special. We've talked about it a little bit before, but as you know, John has been undergoing treatment uh, for prostate cancer, uh, a very aggressive form of prostate cancer. And what we may not have relayed to you is that a lot of people wouldn't uh, wouldn't operate on him because they said it was too aggressive. They said get your affairs in order. But we found a doctor who was willing to operate on him. And we are going to talk to him today about everything from prostate prevention uh, and, and how to get checked properly uh, to, to, how, you know, to how he operates. So um, John is now completely cancer-free, and this is an interview that we have been wanting to do for a long time. So we hope you enjoyed. This is John and Ted Schaefer, who is now the head of, uh, I think he's the head of all of urology at Northwestern uh, in Chicago. So... Uh, let's just get to it. Here's John and Ted Schaefer, and don't forget to get your prostates checked. Thank you for joining us. A little impromptu uh, live interview here with uh, Dr. Edward Schaefer. Uh, I call him Ted. Connie and I both call him Ted. And um, he's the reason I'm actually sitting here talking to you. This is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, September. And Dr. Schaefer, who is uh, chair of urology at the uh, at Northwestern University, and and so many things at that uh, at that university and and, and other uh, uh, great facilities, including Johns Hopkins. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, how you can save your own life, and also, ladies, how you can save save your husband's or your or your boyfriend boyfriend's life. Because what I went through. Um, it's a long story, but I shouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Ted, how are you? I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me today. Yeah. Um, so let's let's talk about um, let's talk about what happened uh, originally. Um, I was uh, I was just sort of going you know going about my life, and I ended up with just a, a routine uh, check from my uh, my general practitioner, Steve Galen, and uh, my my PSA. And why don't we just go just go all the way through it? What when, when men go to the doctor and they get a PSA blood test, what is the doctor looking for? Yeah, so I think that to go from start to finish, the the, the journey should begin with a discussion between the patient and their doctor about what is going on. And so the journey begins with a discussion. diagnose cancer um, in men, and it's the second leading cause of cancer death in men. So when 
And so then that's the first point that any physician should bring up. And your doctor had talked about this with you, and that was how the journey began. If after that discussion, the patient and the doctor think it makes sense to check or screen for prostate cancer, then we do that with two things. The first thing is um, has been around forever, really. It's a rectal exam, and the prostate is adjacent to the rectum. And so you can actually feel the prostate to see if it feels normal or abnormal. And that's one part of the exam that has been around for a long, long time. The other part of the exam is a blood test. And the blood test is something we call the PSA blood test or prostate-specific antigen blood test. And that test was originally kind of discovered in the mid-'80s, um, and, and then it was then determined that you could use this as a way to screen for men who actually may have prostate cancer. So that is a long-winded way to, to tell patients and our listeners um, that if you are worried about prostate cancer because it runs in your family or because you are somebody of African ancestry, or because you're young and healthy and you want to live a long life, then you should begin this discussion with your doctor. And if you guys agree it makes sense, then you do an exam, a rectal exam to feel the prostate, and you do blood work called the PSA blood test. Perfect. Actually, already we're getting questions here. So Marlene Gold is asking, you know, how, how reliable is that PSA? Well, the PSA, it tells us it's one of the two ways uh, that we, you know, one of the two tools that we use to identify men who may be at risk for prostate cancer. So um, there, that that is a very significant strength of the test. But the PSA blood test is not just elevated um, in cases where there's cancers. It can be elevated in cases of just enlargement of the prostate or from an infection. And so it is a reliable screening tool. It tells us, okay, we should, you know, uh, we should perk up our eyes and our ears and really pay attention to this, to this particular patient. So what I always tell patients is, is, is our first step. Similarly, if there's something funny on rectal exam, then that would be the beginning of the journey, so to speak. Now, it's important to remember for most patients, over 75% of patients who get a blood test, their blood test is okay. So one thing that's important to remember and is to not be scared. Now, this is really you putting your health in the driver's seat, you know, really putting your health as a number one priority. And I think that's a very important thing for patients to remember because oftentimes men say, well, I didn't do the test because I was scared. Right. So right. you do the test. If the PSA blood test is elevated, that means you should probably have a more detailed discussion with your doctor. And remember, uh, so what does it mean to be elevated? What is what are these? What does this mean? Well, the test goes between basically zero and a thousand or two thousand. Most people's PSAs are in the one to three range, um, and so there are kind of cutoffs that we use to to think about somebody having an abnormal value. Some people use four. Some people use two point five. It depends on the age of the patient, and um, and then if that's funny, you should talk to a urologist, someone like me, about what to do as a next step. But here's the here's here's the thing. Let's jump in and 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 talk about my my case you know, specifically. Um, I had for five years, Dr. Steve Galen had been testing my PSA and also doing a digital rectal exam. Uh, but the the PSA, my PSA was 0.4, as you know, because you did yeah. my, my surgery. Because my PSA was 0.4 for about 
about five years. So, so Connie and I, we were not, you know, at all worried about that. Everything was fine. My brother's fine, all that. Um, but then, uh, you know, I was a little late, maybe six months late for the for my yearly exam, uh, and went to the doctor, and said, PSA was great, you know. And then he did the digital rectal exam, which which is uncomfortable. A lot of people are like, I don't really want to do that, doc. And right. so we're going to do that. And all of a sudden, Steve says, says, well, you know, I, I feel something, and he used the word unremarkable, and that word sort of started bouncing around everywhere. And so he said, but let's let's send you to a, a urologist here in town. So I did that. He said, yeah, I don't know how Steve found this. Uh, it's unremarkable. Well, let's get a sonogram. And so the sonographer said the same thing, unremarkable, but let's get a, a, a biopsy. Went to UCLA, and they did a biopsy and got the results back and basically said, oh, gosh, um, uh, you, you have uh, you, this is a virulent form of cancer. You've got six tumors, and they're all poorly differentiated, which means you've got a lot of cancer cells in there. And they basically said, I think it's time for you to say, and said this to Connie, right? We're staying there together. You should uh, go make uh, lemons out of go make lemons, lemons. And so we're like, what? And I, I went from a 0.4 PSA, right, to, well, uh, I'm, we're not really sure about your longevity at, at this point. So I, so I went on, of course, researched everything, landed on Patrick Walsh's book, who was, who was uh, worked with you, and you guys, uh, I think he helped train you, didn't he not? I, he's my mentor, so he, he taught me almost everything I know. And, and just as a, a small plug, um, Dr. Walsh is still the guru for prostate cancer. And um, I'm proud to say that together we've uh, really revamped and rewritten his book. So a new edition of his book will be coming out soon, which is going to be super exciting for our, our patients and people who want to learn more about the disease. Right. So what happened was I read this book cover to cover. Uh, you know, we got the family together and we're all like weeping and figuring out, hey, what's, I just got our affairs in order. Let's figure out what's going on with insurance. And uh, I cold called him and he said, I'm not doing insurance anymore, but uh, there is a guy, there is the guy, and can I give him your phone number? And within, I don't know, two and a half minutes, you were in the car and you called Connie and I and said, uh, I can save your life. And, and we were just like, that's all we wanted to hear. Uh, but it, it's it, it's a real it, it, gosh it's a, it's a message to everybody out there because I know one of the one of the big problems uh, today is that if I hadn't had the digital rectal exam yeah. right I would I, I, I this, my cancer would have spread all over my body I'm sure I'm sure you would uh, agree with me there uh, yeah. and there are doctors that are not doing it because because let's talk about this a little bit why you and 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 your partners need to demand that the doctor does the digital rectal exam. Why aren't they doing it? And are you seeing this as a trend? Well, I think that overall there was a trend in the you know since around 2008 to 2012 to just de-escalate or de-intensify prostate cancer screening. We can talk about that why that was later, but that trend uh, really you know um, involved doing less blood testing, and also um, it didn't emphasize the real importance of doing a good rectal exam. So I will, I will tell you what I told you when we first talked, which is that your doctor saved your life. Your primary doctor, he really knocked it out of the park because um, it wasn't, uh, you, you know, what he felt on your exam was um, subtle but important, and he really did save your life. Um, so that's, that's an important thing to remember, and, and, you know, I know you give him a hug when you see him because of that. Um, now, 
you know, I think that doctors, um, you know, it's not like it's fun for me to do a rectal exam. You know, <laughs> I tell the patients, they dread it. They're like, I'm not looking forward to this doc. And I say, well, I'm not looking forward to it either, but it's important that we do it. Uh, and so I think that there was a, you know, kind of some pushback to, to de-emphasize and uh, screening with uh, blood tests. And also the, the rectal exam is kind of people have always said, well, it doesn't really do much. It doesn't pick up much. Uh, but it does. It picks up um, and cancers are picked up or initially identified in about 15 to 20 percent of men. Um, wow. where their, their PSA number is, quote unquote, normal, but something feels funny on rectal exam. So it's a very important part of the, um, the, the initial screening. And everybody's primary care doctor, their internist, their, their, their family practitioner should really do a rectal exam, and it's not, you know, because it's fun, but it's important to help, you know, really for preventative medicine. So um, a question here from uh, Suzanne Krams, my brother-in-law from Springfield. My brother-in-law has prostate cancer. He does nothing for it. He thinks something else will kill him first once he's scared to do anything. Uh, I'm sure there's a, there's a lot of that going around. But I also heard that there's a big difference between somebody getting prostate cancer uh, at, at 40 and at 75. So yeah. do, when you have a patient who is diagnosed with prostate cancer at, at 65 or 70, do you ever take a wait and see attitude with this cancer since many forms of it, right, are, are yeah. slow growing? That's right. So, you know, the, there's a, um, the idea is you have to weigh two things into the equation. The first thing that we think about when we have a patient who has a new diagnosis of prostate cancer is, well, how aggressive is their cancer? And the second component is, well, how healthy is the patient and how long do we think they're going to live? So I don't like to think about things with absolute cutoffs of an age because, you know, as well as I do, you see on the street people who are 80 who look like they're you know 50. Right. So really, it's not their actual age, but it's their kind of you know, kind of, um, you know, true age, you know, how, how healthy are they? So in my mind, we, we, we weigh those two things together. If people um, have an aggressive tumor, even if they're not healthy and we don't think that they're going to maybe live more than five years, those tumors we still want to treat because an aggressive prostate cancer can be a real problem in within one to two, two to three years. Conversely, um, there are prostate cancers that are picked up. They're very small and they're not aggressive. And those cancers um, are cancers that we can, you know, potentially safely watch. And oftentimes we start out watching those tumors. If they become more aggressive or changed, we treat them at that time. And so that's the new way to, to manage or, or uh, follow some cancers. And so your, you know, your listener raises a good point, which is that, you know, not all prostate cancers are the same. And how aggressive they are and how healthy the patient is are the two main factors that play a role. And what are what are the we're getting a lot of questions about uh, uh, men and women, you know, uh, what are what are the symptoms to look out for the early symptoms? Yeah. So prostate cancer is unique among almost all cancers in that we have this amazing blood test and we have you know, you can feel the prostate with rectal exam so we can pick up cancers while they're early. So I what I always kind of tell patients is, well, we can you know, we can identify a baby that may eventually become a bully on the playground. Um, and if we pick it up early, we can treat it while it does not have symptoms. So most prostate cancers do not have symptoms, um, and we pick them up with this blood test that's very, very sensitive and the rectal exam. 
And so um, the, uh, you know, so unlike, let's say, uh, colon cancer where you, you know, you have blood in your stool or if you have lung cancer, you often will cough up blood or something like that. That's very end stage. And the, the nice thing about prostate cancer, one of the great things about it is that we have tools to pick it up while it's very early and curable. And so most people don't have any symptoms. Interesting. And, uh, and how, how has, uh, is, has detection changed much since I was detected two and a half years ago? Or is it still- um, no, I think you were on the cusp of really new technology. So in my, in my personal practice, if somebody has a new, uh, comes to see me with an elevated blood test, the elevated PSA blood test, then what I always do is I repeat that test to make sure it's not a spurious lab value. And I use one of two new, really good tools. There are kind of more accurate PSA tests. One of them is called the 4K score, and that's made by a company um, called Opco, and that's offered. And there's a similar test called the Prostate Health Index. These tests give us a score that says, hey, if you're going to have, you know, if you're worried about this PSA being elevated, what's the probability or likelihood that it's elevated from a cancer? Right. My practice, I start with that. If that test is also elevated, then I always move to an MRI. And an MRI provides us with really a high-resolution Google map of the prostate. And it tells us, okay, what's abnormal or or is there anything abnormal and should we be worried about it? Nowadays, we have this technology where we can do basically like a GPS-guided biopsy of the prostate. And so if something looks suspicious, we can put a needle right where it looks suspicious. And that really gives us much more accuracy in picking up uh, tumors. So um, these things were coming online and you, you, I believe you had an MRI, John, um, you know, as yeah. part of your kind of yeah. process. Um, so we're, we're using those a lot in our, in, our, in our group and they are very effective at really identifying things. And not only do they lead to more accurate biopsies, but in, we've, you know, written about this in some scientific papers. It actually reduces the total number of biopsies we do overall. So, you know, one of the concerns about screening for prostate cancer is while you're subjecting patients to a biopsy and this could be dangerous. Um, And so we can actually reduce them by using these more advanced tests. Just want to remind you guys that our show today is brought to you by bed gear. Do you sleep hot or cold? Are you a stomach sleeper, a side sleeper? How you do these things, all of these things affect your sleep needs and no two people are exactly the same. And that's why bed gear makes performance bedding based on the way that you sleep. Each bedding essential has layers of powerful temperature-regulating technology that adjust your body temperature to your environment as you sleep. You choose your mattress, your pillow, and sheets based on that body temperature, based on your size, based on your sleep style, with four personalized choices and a pillow ID tool. You can find the pillow that's right for you. That's very important. Meanwhile, Bedgear's performance mattresses come in two comfort options, both built with cooling technology. I have felt the cooling technology it is mind-blowing. It is so amazingly cool. Uh, it, it's, like, it's like laying on a menthol pillow. Performance sheets, they keep the hot air out and the cool air moving through. Put the pieces together and you've got, you, you make that little combination. You've got your very own sleep superpower. It is amazing. I, like I said, I use the pillow and it is the only pillow I can sleep on now. It is like, it is like a little cool mint breath of fresh air for my sleep. 
There's no other way to describe it. It is, is amazing. And don't forget your sleep. It fuels everything. So go and create a performance sleep system that works hard for you. So now our listeners can start building that personalized sleep system with 20% off. You visit bedgear.com, use special code TESH. That's bedgear.com, offer code TESH. Our show this week is also brought to you by Thursday Boot Company. Winter is coming, and you're going to need a good pair of boots. This season, you're going to want to get a high-quality pair of boots sold at an honest price, which is hard to find, and that are built to last, which is even harder to find. Thursday Boot Company is a brand that you are going to want to know about. Thursday Boot Company is a new boot-strapped e-commerce brand that started in October 2014. They make beautiful handcrafted products in the same North American manufacturing facilities as the old brands your parents and grandparents wore that used to that now sell for two to three times the price. Thursday Boots use actually better materials, too. They've been featured in everything from Esquire and GQ to OK Style, Weight Watchers and Page Six, and most importantly... You are going to love them. So this year, get a pair of boots that will last season after season. Get a pair of boots handcrafted with the highest quality materials and sold at honest prices. Get a pair of Thursday boots. Head on over to thursdayboots.com and use the code FREESHIP TODAY. That's F-R-E-E-S-H-I-P, the number two D-A-Y. Free ship today. Money, power, and a great pair of boots are now only two days away. Is it your opinion, uh, Ted, that... that uh just men should not die of, uh, of, of prostate cancer. Uh, I mean, meaning it's the, the detection is so good now that there's just no reason that uh, someone should die from the disease. Um, I mean, I think it's, that would be our ultimate goal. There are definitely people that have variations of, you know, more, you know, more, they have more atypical cancers that may be more aggressive. And so um, we've been able to really, really reduce the number of deaths from prostate cancer significantly. Um, and our ultimate goal is to eliminate the disease altogether. Um, and I think that we're, you know, we're close to um, getting to the point where we can re- further reduce deaths without having any, you know, potential side effects in patients soon. Um, you know, um, and ultimately, you know, when I go to bed at night, I think about, well, how can we not have anybody die from prostate cancer? That's right. That's kind of my life. My, that's my goal or my vision in for my for my life, yeah. You know, we guys. I mean, we talk about this on the radio show many times. Ted, is that you know we're sort of loath to go to the doctor, and we're actually seeing some comments on the Facebook page that we can get closer later. Uh, women saying, you know, I keep trying to get my husband to go to the doctor, but he doesn't want to go because he doesn't feel anything, nothing's wrong. Um, but I, I have to say that you know, uh, you know how much credit I, I give you, and, and also, you know, and we can talk about this later too. Is you know beyond the actual surgery. Is, is you having these feelings in the middle of the night, you know, messages from God was like, I got to get John and Connie in because I, I feel like he needs to have another, uh, another scan. And then the next trip over to MD Anderson and, and uh, Christopher Logothetis and, and your friend Brian, Brian Chapin, who ended up with, you know, uh, providing the oncological support uh, for us, which included estrogen deprivation therapy, um, basically pulling the testosterone out of my body for people who don't know, and also uh, chemotherapy. But I, I remember saying to Gib, my son, who you've met, I remember saying, you know, after the first surgery and, and some of the side effects that I had, I said, you know, if it wasn't for my advocates, I would probably just grab a six-pack of beer or a couple of cases and just, just head over to the corner and just and then put some weights on my feet and, and, and jump at the pool. And that's not even hyperbole because you're so, you're so scared. But I'd maybe speak to 
uh, what really got me out of that, and and the other part of, of, of saving my life and prolonging my life, is uh, was my advocate, my wife Connie Selica, and you had I know you had um, with us and, and uh, you know, not on that first surgery, uh, and, then the, and then the second diagnosis for, for uh, the disease uh, metastasizing. You had an experience where you got, got to see her as an advocate. Yeah, I mean, I think well, Connie's amazing, and and uh, I remember when we first had our phone call when we first talked about your new diagnosis of prostate cancer. I thought that she was a doctor because she done so much work and research um, into it. And so, uh, again, I think you know the best patient that we can have is a well-informed patient. And sometimes, as you alluded to, men are not interested in being best patients. But, um, you know, what I've found over the years, and I think Connie's one of the best examples I've ever seen, is really having a significant other who really advocates for their loved one. Um, and, and, um, and, you know, I think that the journey is hard for everybody who has prostate cancer, who has a cancer, but that journey is so much easier when you have someone you can, you know, walk down that path with. So, um, I, I think, you know, Connie's been an, uh, just an amazing advocate for you, and she did what I encourage everybody to do, which is to learn about the disease and really question um, what the doctors are doing and why they're doing it. And I have to be honest with you, I mean, Connie, you know, has made me a better doctor. So uh, by just saying, you know, why are we doing this and what's the plan? And so um, I think if you're, uh, I'm a pretty humble guy, so I, you know, I, you know, I listen to what she said and we, 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 alter some of your treatment planning because of that. So I think that, um, you know, you got to have somebody to go down the journey with. And if you're not married and you don't have somebody with you, you know, find a sibling or find a neighbor because it is really good to have another set of ears to listen to everything that's being said and to help you, you know, make your decision, um, you know, best you can. And everybody has somebody out there. And so I, I really think it's important and, and, um, and, you know, Connie was one of the best advocates I ever saw. Like I said, I thought she was a doctor. <laughs> so <laughs> That's for the, you know, the two of you share that humble gene. So uh, yeah. I'm to her. Uh, you know, we're getting some questions about, um, uh, oh, wait, here, here we go. So Laura um, Orthen writes, I worked in the radiation oncology department. There are several treatment options, including watchful waiting. I mean, we talked about that. It's recommended to get several opinions to consider what the right treatment is for you. Also, many free PSA screenings are available. Check your community and local hospitals. What is free PSA again? Well, she's just saying that you can get it without paying for it. And I oh, think okay. I thought it was a different class. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, no. So I think she raises a couple of really important points. The first thing is that, yes, there are definitely mechanisms that you patients can use to get the test done uh, for free. But I think it's important that... I don't usually encourage that because then you have a result of a test in a vacuum. You know, you don't know what it means. And so it's really important. I always advocate that patients should talk to their doctor about the test. And then they have an, they have an ally that can help them interpret the number. So I often, you know, used to see, and I think free screenings are, and I think she's probably referring to, well, at the hospital, you can get advice about it. If you should get the test and then what the test means. So it's important that you know, have somebody who you can bounce the numbers off of. And then, as we alluded to before, John, um, prostate cancers come in different ranges of aggressiveness. And, um, and minimally aggressive tumors, we, um, we oft oftentimes patients will can start 
out managing their cancer by doing something we call active surveillance, where we don't just forget about you, but we act actively monitor your cancer and make sure it doesn't grow and become more aggressive. And so in, in, in some, for some men, that is something that we can begin with. And it's thought that about 25 to 30% of men have cancers that could be initially surveyed. It doesn't mean it's a good long-term solution, but let's just say you're 75 years old and your, your cancer is not that aggressive. Well, um, and maybe you have a, a heart condition or you had a stroke. This is a good starting point for those patients. And if things stay stable with their cancer, then you can avoid treatment. So it's definitely a good approach uh, for some patients. And, and we're pushing that or discussing it more with our patients now than we ever did before. I put a, I put a question up there from Jeff McLean. Um, what actually causes prostate, prostate cancer? Do we know? Well, yeah. So, um, you know, our whole body is made. It, it, there's, a, there's a program for every cell in our body. And that program is, is, is based in this stuff called DNA. And DNA contains, the, you know, the software to make us make a prostate a prostate and to make, um, you know, skin skin and eyes eyes. So the prost prostate cells have this code and that code is damaged. It can be damaged by things that we eat. Um, it's often, you know, just family history or genetics. Like, well, what, if your father had it, you're more prone to it. So there's nothing like, um, you know, there are some cancers like skin cancer where you go in the sun um, and it really increases your chance for getting skin cancer. Um, in general, there's not a kind of a, a silver bullet that causes prostate cancer, but in more general terms, damage to the DNA code in the prostate can cause those cells to be abnormal. And, um, and family history, um, African ancestry, uh, are two main uh, main drivers of kind of altering that risk for getting it. Yeah, I mean, speaking of that, um, I when my, when I was in the hospital at Johns Hopkins following your surgery on me to remove my prostate and the and the six tumors, I ran into. I mean, I was uh, uh, sixty three at the time, which still, by the way, I understand is is young. But I ran into a kid who was like forty two or forty three years old, an African American kid, and yeah. and so. You're, you're, you're seeing that trend, right? Uh, we, see, we, see a lot, you know, we see a lot of aggressive tumors in young, young individuals. And so we really encourage patients to, um, you know, we really encourage people to say, to um, know their family history. That's pretty free. That's pretty much free. You know, ask around, ask your aunt or, you know, aunts or uncles, you know, do you know anybody who, you know, parents. And understanding your family history really predicts whether or not you'll get a prostate cancer um, overall in your lifetime. And if you have a, a strong family history of prostate cancer or, or breast cancer or ovarian cancer in, in women in, in those families, then that is something that's really important to know about because if you tell your doctor, then we can really begin looking for this cancer at a younger age because in those populations of individuals, it can occur in younger men. Also, as you alluded to, men of African ancestry um, are at a higher risk for being diagnosed with prostate cancer. And they're at about a two and a half fold increased risk of dying from prostate cancer if they get it. So one of my passions in, in my life and my career is to really um, advocate for um, African-American men to get out there and talk to the doctors and get tested if it's appropriate. Um, one of my favorite books, you know, once you found the lymph node uh, that, uh it had, uh, and, and as you 
as you guys dug around for two hours with, with, with a uh, biopsy you know, that was this, this long to, uh, to get a piece of this little, little tumor that, uh, or a piece of my lymph node uh, that showed cancer beyond my, beyond my prostate, uh, I started, you know, reading a course about uh, metastasis and diet and exercise and all of this. I'm sure a lot of people are, are yeah. interested in, in this. Uh, I read, it's like a textbook. I read Peter Seafree's book on cancer as a metabolic disease. And also, uh, you know, the whole family now, uh, me and Connie and Gib, we're all on a, a ketogenic diet, which is, uh, which is, of course, for people who don't know, very, very low carbs, even low protein. And yeah. And, and higher fat where we're burning ketones rather than, than, than glucose. Is there enough evidence showing that, you know, people who, who drink alcohol, for example, which, which ends up, you know, ends up as, as sugar in your, in your body or, or eating a lot of sugar, does that, does that uh, increase the propensity for, for a, a prostate cancer diagnosis? Well, I think that um, what we do know is that weight plays a big role. So uh, managing um, your weight is really, really important. And, so people who are overweight and people who gain weight after their surgery are a real increased risk for uh, being diagnosed with um, uh, prostate cancer or if they already had their treatment, the cancer coming back. So those are things that we definitely think about and encourage. And, you know, everybody has a different way that they, they want to manage that. Um, and so I don't I'm not specific about, well, they should be on this diet or that diet, but whatever way that they can, you know, to control their weight, um, I think, is really good. And you know, often people will say, "Listen, you know, you know Dr. Schaefer, I've done everything right. I exercise. I, I you know, I'm, my BMI is 22. And I, how could I have prostate cancer?" And I, I, I kind of take the the flip side approach, which is, well, maybe if they didn't exercise every day and they weren't healthy, their cancer would be much, much more aggressive. So, um, you know, you know, I'm a kind of a glass half full guy. Um, and that's my approach. And you were you were pretty healthy and pretty fit when we first met. And I'm, you know, it never hurts to be, you know, prepared for the marathon of life. And so I know that you've taken um, even a more um, aggressive approach to being healthy and fit. And I think that that's that's some, that's fabulous. You know, I, I encourage everybody to do that. Well, I mean, the one thing we don't want to do is scare the scare the hell out of each other. But if that's what it takes, how uh, let's let's. Um, we should start wrapping this thing up, and, and you guys can continue to ask questions, and I'll definitely uh, pass it on to uh, to, to Doctor. Yeah, Dr. absolutely. But um, uh, how often? Let's let's do, let's let's do the macro. How uh, how often should you get a prostate uh, um, test? And and we're saying it has to be a blood test and digital record. Yeah. And and how young? When should you start? Yeah. So in general, it's recommended around between the ages of fifty and fifty-five people start talking about getting the test and, you know, if it makes sense for them, do it. Um, I think it makes sense for everybody to get, you know, um, get a test at around that age. And people who have a family history of prostate cancer and men of African ancestry, they should start around age 40. And it doesn't mean that their test is going to be high and mean that they have cancer. What it means, we want to get a baseline number because it's not just the absolute number of the PSA test but it's how it changes over time. That's very, very important for us when we look at the numbers. So getting a baseline, um, particularly for men with the family history is really, really important. And, um, and, and then, you know, you, you should get a rectal exam because that can change too. And your exam changed and that was why they said, hey, let's go get a biopsy. So 
Age 50 to 55 for a quote-unquote average man. Men with family history or African ancestry, age 40. And what are the top three or four symptoms uh, that say, hey, listen, something's changing in my prostate? Well, I mean, many men get urinary symptoms. Uh, about 75% of men over the age of 50 have urinary symptoms. So um, that doesn't mean that you have prostate cancer. So that, I think that's one thing that scares people away from the doctor is, well, they think that they have something wrong. That's not a cancer issue typically. Um, so the symptoms would be, you know, maybe blood in the urine. Um, the symptoms could be changes in their erections. Um, those would be symptoms of a localized aggressive prostate cancer, um, changes in the urinary flow. But overall, those symptoms are more common uh, from just benign kind of prosthetic overgrowth. So um, it's important to communicate with your doctor what's going on with your body. And if you communicate what's going on with your body with your doctor, that will allow us to kind of do the further kind of more intensive studies if they're necessary. This is just so great. And, you know, we've had some, um, uh, some terrific posts here from Valerie Prong saying, really appreciate you sharing what you're going through and having a doctor here to help advise. Um, you know, Danny Hart says, wow, hearing some things here for the first time. It's really what our, our goal was with, yeah. this, with this broadcast. And, um, and it is Prostate uh, uh, Awareness Month. Um, I don't want to inundate you with, uh, with all kinds of emails and things, but uh, if people want to get in touch with you, is it? Is yeah. it I mean, I, I love my job, as you know. Um, and it really is my passion. So if anybody has any questions for me, um, you know, you can certainly email me at e-shafer, S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R, at northwestern.edu. Um, so my first initial, my name, Edward, so e-shafer at northwestern.edu, and send me an email. And if you live in the Midwest, just come see me. Um, it'd be my pleasure to talk to you. And um, I just love my job. I love kind of transferring knowledge uh, to other folks. So it'd be my pleasure to stop by our hospital. It's a great place. <laughs> you're, just, you're going to be very, very busy. Uh, I want to say to the people who are watching, and we, I, this is probably the, one of the biggest podcasts we've ever, we've ever had on a Facebook page. I want to say to people who are, who are still watching um, to please share this video on your Facebook page with everybody you know. Our, our only goal, Ted's and my goal, and Connie's goal, and the goal of my family, is to take the experience that we had with this amazing surgeon, and also the guys at MD Anderson, and just say, there's no reason for you to die from prostate cancer. Uh, and ladies, make sure you get your guy in there. And, uh, and, I, and that, that book, and the new book coming out, uh, Surviving Prostate Cancer, is a tremendous Yeah, book. Patrick Walsh's Guide to Surviving Prostate Cancer, and the new edition's coming out in the next couple of months. It's a great resource. As you know, there are great hospitals and great physicians all over the country, and you, you know, met many of them: Hopkins, Northwestern, MD Anderson, UCLA. Um, so, if anybody has, you know, any anybody wants advice about where to go and who to see within your local area, I can help you with that. I, I have to, I have to, uh, to put, put this last question up here before I let you go because it's really the way we're living our lives right now in Tesh household. Uh, it's from uh, Rose Williams. Dr. Schaefer, what are your thoughts on a plant-based lifestyle, I believe, in this approach? Yeah, so I think that um, I, 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 I eat a lot of salad, <laughs> so I, I'm not a true vegetarian, but I do think that there's a lot to be said for that. And the Western diet, diets that are heavy on 
of red meat and heavy on dairy um, are linked, epi what we say epidemiologically, and kind of looking at the big picture, the 20,000 foot overview, those are associated with more um, with, with having prostate cancer in general. And then the other thing to remember is if you look, um, what we do that's kind of wrong in America is we lack portion control. So um, I, and, you know, I think, you, you know, eating things in moderation in terms of the volume is also really helpful. It's hard to go into a restaurant and get an appropriate portion of food. So it's what you eat and how much you eat of it. So, um, you know, I think one of the things we're guilty of is overeating. If you look at Asian countries like Japan or China from 30 years ago, they had incredibly healthy diets um, and they were also small. They weren't very many calories. There's, there's an epidemic of cancer in China today. And that's for two things. One, they've westernized their diet. So a lot of fried food and, you know, meats. And additionally, they eat a lot more of it. So those two things together, I believe, are what's causing these major problems in, in China and in, in China moving forward. Well said. Your uh, your wall to wall information and encouragement, Ted. Thank you again for spending time with us. And uh, no, it's my pleasure. Anytime, if there's more interest, we'll, we'll let's do another one, John. I I guarantee you there is. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you like this show. Uh, go ahead and rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, if you want to follow up with the hosts, it's at John Tesh, Facebook.com slash John Tesh. And I'm uh, at Gib Gerard, Facebook.com slash Gib Gerard. And of course, at Connie Selica, Facebook.com slash C Selica. And I uh, just want to say one last thank you to our sponsor, Thursday Boot Company. Uh, this episode is brought to you by our friends over there. They are handcrafted with the highest quality materials and sold at honest prices starting at just $149, including free shipping and returns. The best boots at the best value are only a click away. Just head on over to thursdayboots.com and use the code FREESHIP TODAY to have a pair on your doorstep by, uh, by the next two days. So free ship the number two day, and in two days, it'll show up.